1: There to another episode of Love That Album, the podcast where I gaff on about uh, a favourite album of mine, or maybe a favourite couple of albums of mine, as is going to be the case uh, with this episode. And welcoming back to the show is uh, my good friend and Melbourne music journalist Jeff
2: Jenkins. Hello, Jeff. G'day, Mo. Great to be here.
1: Fantastic. welcome on board again.
2: We've done a couple of these. Um, together springsteen Mm -hmm. we tackled that one one day and uh then we did the knack but today just as excited we're doing a legendary australian band Mm. the band's name is cold chisel now it's
1: strange if you're in australia and listening me using a sentence like the band's name is cold chisel would see a little seem a little bit redundant because you know every uh every man and his dog knows who cold chisel is but for those of you overseas who are listening to this there's a very good chance that you don't know who Cult Chisel is, although I believe actually they're quite big in some parts in Europe. I think Germany, they had a, quite a strong following.
2: Yeah, and one of the albums we're going to talk about, East, got to number 171 in America, so it did have some yeah. minor chart success. Yes. Um, so we're going to talk about,
1: uh, I guess, about their album, uh, their, their career in general, but uh, we're, going to, uh, we're going to probably focus a bit. On uh, the middle part of uh, their career their third and fourth albums East and Circus Animals but before we get to that as uh, is the custom that I like to uh, do on this show uh, Jeff
2: what music have you been listening to of late well I just want to mention one EP that I've been really loving I don't know a lot about this band they're called Tessa and the typecast uh, and a female singer Tessa Pavlak I think her name is wonderful singer they're a band that formed at Ballarat Grammar, so at high school, now live in Melbourne. They've just released their debut EP, it's called Lemons, and uh, it's just a wonderful, quirky pop record. A little bit Kate Miller-Heidke, a little bit Washington. Reminds me also of Tori Amos. And I think they it's great songs, really well played. Uh, one song, Painter. It's got uh, lots of cello, and the cello's underutilised in mm. the world of pop. Mm. And yeah, so I'm really excited about this new band. As I said, don't know much about them, apart from the fact I love the EP. Tessa mm. and the Typecast. Check them out.
1: Anything else that's been twiddling your die? It could be old stuff. even Any
2: albums that you've returned to in recent weeks that you thought, oh, I haven't listened to that in years. Well, certainly get the knack which we talked about on a previous podcast yes, i haven't been indeed. able to stop playing that since we started talking about it again indeed. as i mentioned in that one the first album i ever bought and i still love it more than 30 years later you know if you didn't have a connection to rock
1: quiz uh, do you actually still have a connection to rock quiz i don't at the moment oh well you should get yourself on rock quiz and then when the lovely julia will uh ask you so jeff what was the first album you ever listened to You'd be able to say, "Get the knack," and you'd be and able to discern would, from the audience whether would there was snigger.
2: a yeah, and then you'd say, "Oh, ho! Yeah. <laughs> cast thy doubt out, e- non-believers." E- exactly. So, yeah, still loving, get the knack. Mm. What about you, Mo?
1: Um, okay, yeah, look, a few things have been uh, twiddling my doll, I guess in the recent weeks, um, I want to make mention in particular of uh, a band. I don't know if you've heard of this uh, group. I've only been made aware of them in the last couple of weeks. Uh, a group called uh, The May Dreamers and they've got a new album called Love Is Your Destiny. Now I became aware of them Uh, my best friend Robert Exelman uh, knew someone in the group and he went off to see them I think at the Thornbury Theatre here in Melbourne uh, they had an album launch and um, he went and brought the album round to my place and said you've got to listen to this you will really love it and if you like Smile Era Beach Boys then this album is a real treat. Uh, I've only listened to it a couple of times. Uh, There's a lot to take in. It's really sort of an album that you need to sit down and focus and pay attention to. And I I confess, I sort of haven't done it in as much as the way I'd like, but I have listened to the whole album through a couple of times and initial impressions are, it it is a true thing of beauty. It does use, uh, it does have Brian Wilson's twist on a melody uh there's those beach boy type harmonies uh and certainly uh, not an album for rocking out but certainly a very good album for relaxation and yeah it is it is a, a really beautiful album the May Dreamers, love is your destiny i recommend you uh, uh look them up somewhere on the net and see if they're doing any gigs around uh your neck of the country um what else has been listening um uh, another great local act which i'll profess i have a very tiny connection. I'm going to be a parasite here. Uh, the album that I think recently went to number one uh, by the artist known as Gautier uh, and his great new album called Making Mirrors. Now, my my slight claim to association, not so much with Gautier, but Gautier used to be uh, known as Wally DeBacker and Wally is a, a multi-instrumentalist, but primarily he was the drummer for a great Melbourne band called The Basics and um, one of their great songs Uh, which Wally had written was called Rattle My Chain uh, which I think I might have written to you saying and this is how we discovered we had a mutual love of the knack I said you've got to hear this song called Rattle My Chain it sounds like the (laughs) knack and I mean that as a good thing exactly Um, But they're they're a great rock and roll band uh, the basics unfortunately Uh, overshadowed by his solo success and look full credit Wally I think will probably end up being known as the nicest guy in rock music because Uh, He had a couple of uh, previous albums and both had, I think the last one had sent him to number one was it Drawing Blood. Uh, And he sent to number one and he was pulling crowds in all around the country and what did he do? He said right, finish that, I'm now going back to The Basics. And The Basics never really got the attention that they deserved but they were his mates and it was music he loved doing. Uh, and he could have quite easily no one would have blamed him least of all his bandmates for saying I'm gonna stick with doing just my own thing now but he went back to continue on with the basics because he felt that there was still music there that uh, that he could be um, uh, creative in, in, um, in building up with the group uh, and once again despite all uh, best efforts uh, they produced a couple of uh, great albums um, didn't really sort of make it at least certainly not in the way that uh, Wally's solo project Gautier is doing
2: but uh, number one song in the land it's been number one in Australia for eight weeks it's just been a phenomenon and uh, seven ARIA nominations it is certainly going on uh, for him but yeah definitely check out the basics really good records mm. uh, The uh, that they had I think it was about three, three albums the
1: one that I liked the most was uh, uh blend in stand out which had that um that track rattle my chain uh two main songwriters in the band wally and uh chris schroeder who was the uh, bass player of the band um and but uh for me i think uh wally's songs wally's own songs were the uh standouts color choice covers as well so uh, see if you can track that one down also uh they i think they put out a live album which you may even be able to download from their website i'm not sure um one of their final gigs i think um but so, yeah but the Gottier album is a completely different kettle of fish more about uh landscape sounds i don't know that sounds terrible when i say but he's he's using uh, a wider instrumental palette maybe than uh, what the basics were doing uh although there are a couple of songs that do have um, I, I guess uh, uh, more of a poppy sound than Drawing Blood did so there's something so maybe a little bit of his basics train of uh, songwriting thought has uh, crept into his goatchair thing so he still has a love of that type of music uh, so that's, uh, that's an album that's been um, on uh, my CD player and another album that um, I really love for those of uh, you out there who may know me uh, personally know I'm a big fan of uh, acapella music have been for many years uh, since the 80s when I saw uh, a British band called The Flying Pickets and a local group called uh, The Phones which featured two guys who went on to become uh, local singing comedy troupe the Scared Weird Little Guys Um, so but yeah I I loved back in the day when it it was unique in the day now very common uh, where they took established pop hits and stripped away the instrumentation and made it uh, made these pop songs sound their own I think the Flying Pickets had taken Yazoo's song Only You and just stripped it down to just five voices and it was absolutely beautiful uh, in America nowadays thanks to uh, a show called The Sing-Off which one of the judges is uh, the great Ben Folds uh, a cappella has been going through a really huge revival although I'm reliably reliably told it's not an overnight thing it's been taking a long time to get uh, a cappella to be noticed by the mainstream. And I think in Australia, we're still a long way off. But a group uh, who's done as much as anyone to uh, do their best to make it uh, known throughout more than just the a cappella community are Sydney group, The Idea of North. uh, And their album in uh, recent uh, months uh, is an album called Extraordinary Tale, which I uh, know our good friend Billy Pennell has also been a big rave on. Uh, It's a mixture of uh, instrumentals, and um uh, and some really great arrangements in their style my favorite being uh, their take on uh, the beatles song in my life what i like particular about that song and a lot of this album this is a group that's got serious jazz chops and they could do all these complex things which a lot of groups out there do tend to do to show off but the idea of north are now in a space where they say right we've got a level of appreciation by the public uh, we know what we can do, they know what we can do, we just want to make these songs simple, we want to get to the heart of the melody, keep it simple, and that's I think a big positive about, um, about this album. So if you haven't actually uh, caught hold of the idea of North, uh, Extraordinary Tale is a good place to start. Uh, maybe um, They actually put out a live album a few years ago uh, called Live at the Powerhouse, it's also a DVD I think out on uh, ABC Records, um and uh that's also a good place to start and they frequently come to melbourne play at uh chapel off chapel so if you're melbourne side that's uh where you should go see them if you live anywhere else in australia uh make sure uh you look at their website to uh see if they're playing near you they are really a treat and they do frequently go overseas i know they've won uh competitions in the states and in asia so uh yeah have a look at their uh, website and see if they're coming to a venue near you but yeah their album extraordinary tale uh, idea of north uh, really one worth checking out all right um yeah look i've been listening to lots of other stuff but i think we'll leave it there because um that shouldn't be the main focus of this show uh the main focus of this program will be uh jeff and myself talking about uh australian band cold chisel and it's very timely that we're going to have something to say about them and we'll talk why it's timely in just a minute When you're watching movies, are you sick of remakes, reboots, reimaginings, reinventions and Reese Witherspoon? Are you fed up with movies where giant robots try to remake Enter the Dragon? Do you think that torture porn is vastly inferior to 1970s drive-in porn? Do you find Botox actresses
2: with fake tits and action heroes with no chest hair a turn off? Do movies where no single shot lasts more than two and a half seconds Piss you off. Yeah, me too. That's why I do Paleo Cinema Podcast, a podcast for films more than 20 years old. So if you think the Citurys is a guy, and that Myrna Loy is a kind of metal, you need Paleo Cinema Podcast.
1: Go to paleo-cinema.com and do yourself a favour. And we're back, Morris here, Jeff there, and uh, we're going to talk about Cold Chisel. Jeff, tell me about the first time you heard Cold Chisel.
2: Ooh, gee. The history of this band, they formed in Adelaide in 1973, ended up relocating to Sydney. And their first album, it took them five years uh, to get it together to, to make an album, Um, struggled to get a record deal. Their first album was a self-titled set in 1978. Of course, featured the Aussie classic K-San. And remarkably, this song didn't become a top 40 hit until 2011. (laughs) Um, Cold Chisel, when they started out, they wanted to be an albums band. They wanted to be like Led Zeppelin. They didn't want to put out singles. But of course, it's pretty tough not to put out singles, particularly in the Australian market radio convinced them to put out a single from that first record which was K-San then they promptly banned the song (laughs) for some controversial lyrics. I would have probably heard the title track of their second album which was Breakfast at Sweethearts in 1979 instantly liked that song and I think that's the album that really connected with an Australian audience Again, it wasn't a, didn't have any top 40 hits from it, even though the title track, great song, Shipping Steel became a Cold Chisel classic, and Goodbye Astrid Goodbye, a Cold Chisel live favourite. So the album sold well, but the band didn't like that second album. The famous quote from Jimmy Barnes, the singer, was that Breakfast at Sweetheart stunk, and you can spell that F-U-C-K-E-D. <laughs> They weren't happy with the production, particularly good songs. Not bad production, but the production didn't capture the mm. band's live power. No, I've
1: often I've often thought that the album sounds like it's been recorded um, with uh, microphones stuffed in about ten thousand pillows. Yeah, it, it really it, it doesn't it doesn't jump, it doesn't crackle. Certainly, unlike the next couple of albums, you know, East and uh, Circus Animals really sounded like they would captured their live feeling and it just it just jumped out at you
2: yeah so those first two records particularly that second album really disappointed the band because by this stage they were just an incredible live band so third album it wasn't make or break the chisel because as i said they were a very big band in the country but they needed a radio song which is easier said than done and certainly they didn't want to compromise the band's integrity which is what this band has always had they wanted to work with producer paul rothschild who'd done all the doors, big doors records and Cold Chisel in many ways saw themselves as an australian version of the doors problem was though they couldn't find paul rothschild he didn't do a lot of stuff after working with the doors so then they were like what are we going to do we've had these bad experiences in the studio Enter Mark Opitz, who is the legendary Australian producer. Uh, Mark Opitz had done an apprenticeship with Vander and Young, the legends themselves, so he would learnt all their tricks. Then he ended up uh, producing the Angels breakthrough album Face to Face, a remarkable rock record. Funnily enough, Mark Opitz had worked with Cold Chisel in the early days. He'd done some demos when they were demoing some songs for EMI in 1977. The A&R manager at EMI, Colin Smiley-Peterson, who had been the drummer with the BGS, he didn't like the demos, didn't sign them, passed on signing them. Famously, or infamously, Mushroom Records also passed on Cold Chisel. The boss of Mushroom Records, Michael Gadinsky, still cringes whenever he's reminded of that. The story goes that they had the chance to sign Chisel and another Adelaide band called Stars. They went with Stars instead of Chisel. And even though Stars, great band, Mick Stars Hill, were a great band. Andy Durant, wonderful band, they obviously didn't become what Cole Chisel became.
1: Should quickly point out, there's sort of a connection between Stars and Chisel. They uh, uh, Stars had uh, a wonderful songwriter in uh, Andy Durant, and uh, unfortunately, Andy died of uh, bone cancer, I think it yep. was. Uh, and I think at the end of 1979, just about the time that uh, East, the album we're about to discuss. Uh, became really big. Um, a, a lot of uh, the big uh, musicians of the day uh, joined in a uh, in a benefit concert to benefit the, for the Melbourne-based Peter McCallum Cancer Research Clinic. Uh, it was put together, I think, by Mick Peeling, who was the lead singer of Stars. Is who oh, the was guitar, guitar player? Yeah, Mal Eastick. Mal I think. Yeah, between Mal Eastick and and uh, Mick Peeling, they put this concert together, and so they had. Uh, If you will, they had three three members of Chisel, so they had Jimmy Barnes, Ian Moss, and the great Don Walker playing in the band. And I guess if you really want to make him the unofficial the sixth Chisel um, harmonica player, uh, Dave
2: Blythe, Dave Blythe on harmonica as well for a couple of tracks. Uh, Yeah, I think that's on DVD now. now. The memorial concert for Andy Durant. Yeah, wonderful, uh, wonderful concert. Um, so, all that was happening. They needed the radio song. Mark Opitz just said, play everything you've got to me. And two songs leapt out at Mark Opitz. My Turn to Cry, which was the first song that Barnsey had written on his own, and a Don Walker song called Choir Girl. He thought My Turn to Cry was probably too pop, was a little bit too slick, and probably the wrong statement for this band to make. But Choir Girl," Choir Girl was just perfect for Cold Chisel, had that edgy lyric, it was actually about abortion which people at the time had no idea about. And so for Mark Opitz it wasn't just about capturing the band's live power, but that was obviously a big part of it in the studio, but it was about giving them radio songs. And what he did, he encouraged all the other members of the band to write songs. Until this point, it was really dominated by Dom Walker songs. And Dom Walker is just an incredible songwriter. But this band is just packed with talent. And I was trying to think of it. Obviously, The Beatles, every member you know, contributed hits to that band. The Eagles, I think pretty much every member has written hits. I, there aren't too many bands where every single member of the band has written a hit. Mm. Cold Chisel is one of those bands. What it did, too, it took the pressure off Don Walker. He didn't have to come up with all the hits. It added diversity to the sound, which was wonderful. And also it gave each and every player more confidence. Like if you're writing songs, you'll probably end up being a more confident player. So it just had a threefold effect and really helped Cold Chisel. Do you think that might have actually ended up in some way to the
1: demise of the band because uh, it had started out, they were very dependent on Don Walker and I had read an article before that suggested that once everyone sort of started doing something they all became songwriters but it was no longer the Cold Chisel that had started out.
2: Yeah, it probably is a factor. It is very hard for any band with more than one songwriter because then it is a competition to get your songs on the album. And obviously, the more songs you have on the album, the more publishing royalties you'll make. So Mm. it can can become a money issue. Um, So no doubt it did create sort of uh, differences and problems within the band. But I think the benefits far outweigh uh, the, the, the difficulties.
1: I should make mention at this point for uh, anyone, uh, if you're living in Australia there's no chance you haven't heard of Cultures or, or heard the music, but for those of you who may be listening um, outside of Australia, uh, I, I read somewhere that uh, Rolling Stone magazine had made a fairly infamous review of their first album saying that the band couldn't decide whether they wanted to be Led Zeppelin or they wanted to be Ray Charles. and. Really, I guess that's an apt description of the band. So they had their hard rocking numbers and then they had some songs that were very much in a uh, late night blues bar sort of style and a lot of stuff that combined the two. At least maybe the first couple of albums are in that vein. Uh, And as we're sort of going to get onto it, I I feel like East was their pop album, Circus Animals was their rock album. Yes. Yes.
2: And funnily enough, mentioning Rolling Stone, Ed St John wrote a review of East, their third album, and to quote from that, he said, in taking the diverse influences of Otis Redding, Elvis, Sam Cooke, The Who, The Faces, and The Shadows, and applying this sensibility to an Australian context, Cold Chisel have done something remarkable. With East, Cold Chisel have soul. So I really think that sort of uh, sums up where they were coming from. The weird thing was, Cold Chisel really did see themselves as an American band, Well, obviously an Australian band, but their influences were predominantly from America, and they wanted to be in America. The irony being, once they got to America, they hated it, and they found themselves out out of step. They thought it was going to be a world of The Doors and Led Zeppelin. When they got over there, the west coast sound was still dominating, and they really didn't quite fit into it, so they were quite disappointed once they got to America. So let's get on to East, I reckon, Mo. Uh, It kicks off with Standing on the Outside, which Mm. is my favourite Chisel song. It's just an instant song. Uh, It's got a bit of rebellious nature to the lyrics, which is classic cold chisel. And something about this song, and it was the genius of Mark Opitz, the song ends with a drum fill, the next song starts with the drum fill, so one song rolls into the other, mm. which is never before, an Ian Moss song, which I don't think is a classic song, but it's a really, really good song. And again, it establishes that diversity in the band. You go from a Barnsey to a Mossy song and uh, uh, um, vocally, and then, bang, he hits you with the pop hit, Choir Girl. So it's a great opening to this record. Oh, look, I was going to mention, actually, uh
1: Standing on the outside, the opener for um, East, and and uh, you got nothing I want, which was the opener for Circus Animals, the next album we sort of want to discuss. Um, they both thematically I see as uh, very covering very similar ground. So you know the band sort of see themselves you know standing on the outside, looking in. Maybe you know they weren't at the peak in the industry. They didn't know where they fitted in. And certainly with you got nothing I want. Um, was it uh, Jimmy Bones? Tells a story about when, uh, in um, their film *The Last Stand*, which they made about the time of their uh, initial breakup, uh, how they went to America, and the record company was it Electra, had given them absolutely no support, and the band sort of walked through the uh, walked through the offices of uh, their record company, and the place had all been cleared out. They just thought that there were five young Australian hoodlums who were coming to uh, beat the stuffing out of them. Ma- yeah, and, maybe and, like the sex
2: business. and a famous Barnsey story with You Got Nothing I Want was, as I said, they were really excited about going to America. That was their land of rock and roll and mm. land of dreams. Uh, they were doing a gig in LA, the marketing man from the record company couldn't make the gig because he had to go to a DJ's dog's birthday. Mm. Barnsey was furious about this. So a bad experience, and but that's it, how you got nothing I want. Came yeah, mm. it gave Jimmy Barnes. He's written a number of songs over the years, none better than you got nothing I want. I'll it's just an incredible rock moment and a wonderful album opener, mm. as you said, standing on the outside for East. You got nothing I want for Circus Animals. They really do just go bang. Here we are. This is going to be a great record. Mm. So with East, track four, Rose Rising Sun, another Barnesy song. Uh, another really great song. Sort of a rockabilly, 12-bar blues rockabilly type, uh, type song. Yeah, and this was sort of the real emergence of Jimmy Barnes as a songwriter because um, he was inspired when his girlfriend at the time, Jane, had moved to Japan. So he, he was so inspired to, to write a song, The Rising Sun Just Stole My Girl Away. Mm. And so, great song. Then, more diversity in the album, Phil Small, the bass player. Uh, from cold chisel wrote my baby just an absolute pop hit and a wonderful song joe camilleri on saxophone this was the third single from this album in australia sung by ian moss Uh, so it was a little bit different for the band in terms of the single big mistake in america it was the first single over there it really wasn't indicative of the band or of the album and they also infamously uh, the record company sent the song to radio stations in America wrapped in a nappy, which was just, you know, a bit corny, a bit cheap, and really didn't sum up what sort of band Cold Chisel is and was. I mean, I often felt, without even knowing about their American experience, I even felt that here it was
1: sort of not necessarily, uh, uh, and maybe appropriate, word. But I didn't think it was a, I didn't think it was a great follow on song. You sort of got, if, if East was your first experience with the band, then okay they started out with choir girl which was as you said this tragic heartbreaking song about abortion uh, and then there's this other something you know, the next single. I think the fir- that was like about a year before East came out and then the first proper lead-off song when the album came out was cheap wine which I you know that you'll get into in a minute I'm sure uh, and you know that's you know, a guy a bit down on his luck uh, and and really all he's got going for him is, you know, nothing I can't depend on anything else except this cheap wine. So, you know, this is a, this is a band that's sort of uh, skirmishing around maybe, you know, tough issues or the like, and then they come out with this really almost conventional song, My Baby, which
2: yeah, uh, no, a great uh, pop ch- song. but very slick. Yeah,
1: it, it, it didn't seem like a chisel song. It's almost like, well, Phil Small it said, "I've written my first song here. Let's let like the pen do it." I don't think he developed his craft. Certainly not the way how like uh, Don Walker had, But yeah, I might, I might be completely wrong. I mean.
2: And particularly in America, it just didn't tell the tale of this incredible rock band that is Cold Chisel. Speaking of cheap wine, what uh, you know that sums up the songwriting genius of Don Walker. Uh, there's so much in that song that line had a friend i heard she died on a needle she was crucified what an incredible line it's just remarkable not the sort of stuff you normally hear in the top 40 mainstream pop hits. exactly and uh, it was classic uh, for Barnsley. you can certainly have drunk a lot of cheap wine it had people wondering what a rocket fuel was which apparently is whiskey and stones green ginger wine Barnsley's quote was, whatever it is, it's cheap, it's raw, it's powerful, and it sends you crazy. And Dunham and Cigar, um, that was such an exotic name to drop in, and that's something that Don Walker does quite often. He won't pick the obvious, he'll pick something that, you know, you might never have heard of. And Barnsley admits he'd never smoked a Dunham and Cigar at that point in his life. Mm. Um, but so it added just an exotic flavour to that song, which also led to one of the great misheard lyrics. You know, many people thought it was cheap wine and a three-day-old goat. <laughs> um, which was. Actually, I thought it was
1: three, uh, cheap wine and a three-day grope.
2: Yeah, and a three-day grope, yeah. So yeah, which of course it's cheap wine and a three-day grope. Uh, but yeah, great song, and that, that, there were many songs you could point to uh, to illustrate Don Walker's songwriting genius, but I would highlight cheap wine. Then that goes into uh, Steve Presswich. His, mm. He contributes uh, just the one song here, has a much bigger influence on the Circus Animals album. But Steve Presswich, the drummer from Cold Chisel, who very sadly died at the start of 2011. Uh, Best Kept Lies. Bit of a reggae feel to the song. Not an incredible song, but it, it gives uh, the album more diversity. Sung by Mossy, so something a little bit different again. Uh, so yeah, it's a fascinating record, and then it goes into Ita. This was left off the American edition of the album, wasn't it? It, it was. The American edition uh, dropped uh, Ita and Four Walls. Mm. Don't know why they would have done that. Even even with Ita, because Ita, I guess you know, she was sort of the Aussie ver- version of Oprah, maybe back in those days. Mm. So the Americans wouldn't have had any idea who she was. But it's still such a great pop song. It is a fantastic pop song. That I reckon it it could have still worked. I I think they overthought that. So they dropped those two songs and replaced it with a new version of K-San. So, yeah, I don't know. It would have been good to have included K-San as well, but kept those other two songs, Ida and Four Walls. But yeah, Ida, um, apparently in the studio, the band would watch quite a bit of TV. They'd watch Faulty Towers. That was a big comedy hit at the time on the ABC. Countdown, of course, every Sunday night. And they also used to love Ida, Ida Buttrose, doing the ads for Australia's Women's Weekly, which was the biggest-selling magazine in the country at the time. She was the editor. She would do the ads. Was she impressed? Well, it was a bizarre sort of storyline because, again, it was a great thing for Cold Chisel to do. And I think it was good for her. It sort of gave her bizarre credibility in the rock world. <laughs> There were bizarre rumours, too, at the time that Don Walker was having an affair with Ida Buttrose, which kind of, you know, worked for them, too. It was just such a wacky story. So it got them both publicity. And I I think she did like it, because when they announced their tour in 2011, she turned up and Barnsley presented her with a couple of tickets for the tour. (laughs) So I think she is a Chisel fan. Uh, Star Hotel, again, classic Chisel, writing about a riot at a Newcastle pub. Classic, uh, classic storyline really fitted in with the kind of their rebellious uh, outlook and approach. It was perfect uh, for Cold Chisel. It's in the key of E, apparently. Star Hotel, which is even a little bit hard to listen to. Jimmy Barnes singing in the key of E. Oh, e minor, I would have thought.
1: It's a, uh, uh, if anything, E minor, but I'm not sure. I'll, I'll,
2: I'll, 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 I'll uh, fill you in, all you music types. Have a listen to that. And, but yeah, hard to listen to. And it's kind of, I think Don Walker has a real contrary nature. And I think he's, part of it is, you know, writing it in that key just to make it hard for Barnesy to sing. Uh, Four Walls, again, classic chisel. I'm saying that about just about every song on this record, apart from My Baby. Uh, But four walls, a prison song essentially, and Chisel really, as you said, identified as outsiders and with outsiders. So great song. And like Johnny Cash, did
1: perform in prisons, didn't
2: they? Yes, they did. Mm. So yeah, it was a real um, uh, clever sort of uh, thing because it really did, uh, you know, uh, identify themselves as rebels, which certainly helped their image. Uh, And then the album actually finishes with that song that Mark Opitz thought is a potential single, but then ended up burying it on the album because he did feel it was the wrong sort of, he he felt if he put it right at the top, people would think this is gonna be a slick pop record, My Turn To Cry, which is still a rock song, but it's a very hooky, infectious rock song. But of course, there's a famous story
1: about My Turn To Cry and television.
2: Yeah, well that's the song that with this album East, Suddenly, Chisel were the biggest band in the country. It had worked. From taking Choir Girl to radio, that connected. Then the album was an absolute monster, and they dominated the Countdown Awards, the Australian version of the the Grammys for that year. But they didn't accept any of the awards, but they agreed to close the show. But they changed the lyrics of My Turn to Cry, ended up... Which wasn't a single. They, they should none. have been on there doing cheap wine or... It, yeah, it was so an unusual... They did an album song, track. Yeah, unusual Cardinals song. number one. Yep. Changed the lyrics to Attack Countdown and also attacked the, co, uh, the co-presenters the co of the awards TV Week magazine. Mm. Basically saying, where was TV Week when we were struggling? Mm. You weren't there. Now we're the biggest fan in the country. You're on board, mm. you know eat this was a classic quote from from barnsey it sort of created just divisions across the country some people thinking it was the greatest sort of rock and roll moment on australian tv well because they're just being outraged tried to destroy the set yeah the classic scene was mossy uh, trying to break his white fender guitar which of course he'd gone out and bought a cheap copy of it because he didn't want to ruin his real guitar (laughs) but he said it was just a lump of wood and he couldn't break it. That is the enduring image of Ian Moss just trying to break this guitar on the set and it not breaking. It was very funny. And then the director ordered that you know the curtain come down, which nearly killed Mossy, this huge curtain crashing down on him. But it was incredible live TV, created a lot of drama, people saying whether they should or shouldn't have done it. But again, it really established Cold Chisel as a rebel band mm. these were the real deal when it came to rock
1: um, before we go into talking about uh, their follow up album Circus Animals um, let's just talk a little bit about uh, their legacy now um, the fact that they've they just reformed again to releasing a, a, a new a, an album of new material not the first time that they've done that since their initial retirement but the band seems to still endure and yet the band also has a lot of detractors now I know that a lot of people have made the case that because uh, their singles and some of the album tracks have been played incessantly on Australian commercial radio uh, since their split um, that people have sort of gone and said right oh too much already um, I'm not gonna listen to this anymore right they stink if I have to hear another cold chisel song i'm gonna barf and and i would also argue that uh jimmy barnes as a singer just ended up a screamer uh after chisel um and he didn't have a songwriter of the caliber of of uh, don walker behind him uh the you know, the band all knew it and that's why i'm sure they instantly agreed to reform and do this but as it's them, but they're still selling thousands and thousands of tickets to their show so they seem to have people who revile them and people who absolutely
2: love them Do you... Yeah, I think there's more love than anything else They do have an incredible legacy and I can only uh, think back to the start of the 80s when the two biggest bands really in the country were Cold Chisel and Australian Crawl I loved Aussie Crawl The Australian Crawl legacy is not big there, Midnight Oil, Midnight Oil were. Midnight Oil, okay. enormous too. We, we were blessed with incredible bands and I think it's kind of bizarre to think there are so few amazingly big bands in Australia now compared to then when we had Chisel, Australian Crawl, Midnight Oil, The Angels. Uh, Hunters and Collectors were you know coming along pretty soon after that. The Vinyls, of course. There were you know, 10 or 12 monstrous bands. Uh, obviously Dragon were still playing, Mondo Rock, Uh, yeah, incredible amount of bands. But Chisel were kind of the leaders and their legacy, it has worked. And I think it it is because of that, you know, rebel nature. They were never seen as having sold out, even though they did have those pop hits. You could never really say sold out. And they never, by, by trashing the set at the Countdown Awards, they were really carving their place in, you know, rock and roll coolness. I think at that
1: point, I'll just quickly take a break and then Jeff and I will be back in a minute or two to uh, discuss circus animals in a whole lot more depth. We'll be back soon.
0: American
3: dream He's just a common man The American dream does the road be I'm coming to you live in a living color speak to you, the American people, a podcast called Silver and Gold Daddy. And you know, that the American green. Dusty Rhodes knows how to bring home the gold, Daddy. And just like Henry Silver sticking Barbara Boucher's head inside a sow hanging from the ceiling. Silver and gold will stick it to you, stick it to your ears, stick it to your mouth, your eyes, your nose, daddy. And all points in between, they'll take your listening pleasure and stick it between a thousand caucus hanging from the ceiling, daddy. Silver and gold. We talk about movies and s***. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com.
1: And we're back once again. Morris here, Jeff there, and we're doing a Cold Chisel special. Uh, Before the break, we were talking about Cold Chisels' third album, East, and now we're going to have a little bit of a yak about uh, the follow-up album, uh, Circus Animals. So, Jeff, Circus Animals, do you remember the day that you got this?
2: Yeah, I do, and it was an interesting time to be a Cold Chisel fan because, obviously, East... Became such a landmark record, and, and suddenly they were, without a doubt, the biggest band in Australia. And then, uh, what happened? Swing Shift came out, the live album, their first number one album in Australia. That really established them as, you know, the great live band too. And obviously, we talked about them trashing the set at the Countdown Awards. Mm. So that really established them as the, the kind of rebel, you know, rockers as well, and that incredible image that they had. So it was all going on. So in so many ways, Circus Animals then was a reaction to, I guess, to the East record in that they didn't want to repeat themselves and they didn't want to make another pop record. And I think Don Walker particularly saw East as a pop album, even though Mm. it certainly still rocked. He didn't want to go down further down that pop path. Mm. So they still uh, maintained their relationship with Mark Opitz, which was incredibly important for the band. Uh, but they wanted to make a different sort of record. Mm. It, it,
1: interesting that you touch upon the um, wanting to go away from the pop side of it, and that would have definitely been Don Walker's decision because certainly his his songs, are, funnily enough, for uh, uh, a piano player, are the most guitar-heavy rock songs on the record. Uh, and, um, uh, but yet their uh, drummer, uh, Steve Presswich, who we already sort of made mention previously, Turned out to be something of a a pop wunderkind, as I think the expression is, with uh, putting up uh, a couple of the uh, album's highlights. We'll get to those. Um, Let's uh, start talking about the songs uh, themselves. So the album opens up with an oral assault, from, uh, funnily enough, from uh, uh, the pen of Jim Barnes. Um, And probably to my way of thinking, this is... uh, I've never been a fan of his as a songwriter, certainly not through the solo years. It's, it's never really attracted me, but You've Got Nothing I Want, I think, is an absolutely fantastic, a great piece of songwriting, not just performance, but but a great piece of songwriting.
2: Again, a brilliant album opener, because mm. it really sets the scene. If suddenly standing on the outside was a brilliant uh, opening cut as well for East, with this one, if Chisel as we said, didn't want to make another pop record, bang, You Got Nothing I Want really states the case, doesn't it? This up front.
1: Mm. Do you remember the um, the interview that they had? I think it might have been with one of their... Uh, uh, I don't know, it wasn't a producer, I can't remember what his role was with the band, but it was a fellow in the last Stand movie who was telling the story about You Got Nothing I Want being um, a reaction by Jim to... Um, the American Record Company release, who'd released and as we'd already spoken about, had made a complete fuck up of uh, the promotion of the album. They just didn't know what to do with it and the band came to the record company in the States um, and uh, they walked in the office and here were these five guys who looked like a bunch of Aussie hoodlums and everyone <laughs> went flying under their desks but this song was a reaction to all of that.
2: Yeah, cuz it was incredibly depressing I think for the band because in their minds they saw themselves as an American band or that's where they wanted to conquer. That's where their musical heroes came from. Mm. So obviously, you know, they're an Australian band and very Australian, but they thought, "Wow, we're going to get to the promised land in mm. America." They they as I said, they sort of saw themselves as an Aussie version of the Doors or Zeppelin. So they wanted to be in america where Mm. all their heroes were but when they arrived it was a different world the record company was you know going through a bit of a slump the record industry was going through a slump at the time uh you know the the music had changed from when they were young and starting out and with Mm. the doors and zeppelin suddenly it was very slick it was very pop oriented that west coast sound and chisel really didn't feel they fitted into all that so When they arrived i think they were just yeah really depressed about that and then when they were doing a gig in la their marketing man couldn't go to the gig he said look i'm sorry i can't go to the gig i'll meet up with you afterwards and the reason he couldn't go to the gig he had to go to a famous dj's dog's birthday Mm -hmm. this didn't go down very well with jimmy (laughs) barnes to say he was furious is an understatement legend has it that uh this guy did turn up to the gig afterwards offered the band some cocaine. Barns, you know, just was like, who is this jerk? Grabbed him by the scruff of the neck, threw him up against the wall. Don't know if he hit him, but I think threatened to hit him at the very least. (laughs) Not a good way of establishing your career in in America by uh, assaulting uh, one of your big record company, Big Weeks. Uh, So then you got nothing I want is a reaction to that. Just basically saying, I don't want what you're offering, you know, you can stick your convertible cars and whatever. Mm. We're cold chisel, we, you know, we don't buy into all of that. Probably the best song Jimmy Barnes has ever written, without a doubt. It's Goal just level. a great, great rock song. Mm. And immediately
1: followed up by um, uh, the, a song from the Pen of Moss. Actually, I should make the point that first, the opening four songs on the album, each one by a different songwriter... In yeah. the band, Phil Small, the only one not being represented.
2: Because we talked about that, and that's, you know, real credit must go to Mark Opitz, the producer for this. Going back to East, how we talked about him encouraging everyone else mm. to write, mm. that it wasn't just Don Walker. And as I sort of said, this took the pressure off Don Walker. He could, you know, because there was guarantee, you know, and Don Walker is still coming up with classic songs. Said, but that's yeah. guaranteed. You can rely on that happening. But if you can throw in, you know, just... A Barnsey song, a Mossy song, a couple of Steve Presswitch songs. Suddenly, then, wow, you've got an incredible album. Mm. So that had really come to fruition with Circus Animals. And as you said, the first four songs, all different songwriters. Well, that second song was uh, Bow River. Um, uh, Which you could call the Mossy
1: classic. It is. Uh, I don't think a solo Ian Moss gig went by where he wouldn't perform that. And I remember going. Uh, many years to uh, a pub here in Melbourne. Um, I can't remember the name of the pub, it's in the suburb of Oakley. Do you remember? Um, uh, there was, was... the Forester's Arm. Might have been the Forester's Is that the one in uh, Nepean? Oh, not Nepean, Dandenong Road. Anyway, it uh, might have been the Forester's Arm. And um, there was a whole lot of excitement. It was, it was something, a bit of an interesting juxtaposition because you had. Jim Barnes, who pretty much hit the ground running, popularity if not necessarily uh, with great songs in my opinion. Um, from you know pretty much as soon as Chisel disbanded, and Ian Moss certainly took his time. I think it was about four or five years after Chisel disbanded originally before he came out with Matchbook. And but he, he although he had done a, he did a couple of gigs along the way even before the album came out. You know maybe about a year or two before. And I think I went to this gig at what was the Foresters Arms. Uh, and the interesting juxtaposition was Jimmy Barnes was playing on the other side of town like a a series of four or five nights running at a five to ten thousand seat arena and Ian Moss was packing maybe about three four hundred people one night at the Forrester's Arms Hotel in Oakley and they were both playing on the same night uh, and so you know, everyone's sort of like listening respectfully to Ian Moss's new song, but they really wanted to hear Bow River, the, <laughs> the next song on Circus Animals. And of course, there was. And towards the end, so the, the band went off and they came off the encore, and there was a whisper throughout the audience. And, oh, what's what's going on? What's the buzz? Next thing you know, Ian Moss starts out Bow River, and at the same point in the song where Jim Barnes pipes in, Jim Barnes walked on stage, oh, wow. and I remember getting kicked in the back by a woman with high heels who was so excited to see that Jimba. I don't know if she just didn't go to the other side of town to watch him play at the 10,000-seat uh, arena.
2: Such contrasting characters, though, Barnsley and Mossy. Mm. Uh, and that really sort of... You, you've summed it up very, very well there, in that, you know, Barnsley leapt into a solo career. Barnsley, you know, for all his excess, the way he's lived his life, incredibly focused, incredibly driven... Uh, incredibly, together when you interview Jimmy Barnes, he's just a, a marvellous storyteller. Mm-hmm. He's got just remarkable stories. No Australian rock star has had such great stories. The amount of people he's worked with, and it's certainly not just Cold Chisel. Uh, the, the experiences that he's had, and he can relate those stories better than you know anyone. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mossy, you know, you meet Mossy, he's incredibly laid back. You have to really push him and prod him to get stories out of him. (laughs) Interesting with uh, Circus Animals, I interviewed Mossy a couple of years ago, and we were talking about classic, you know, chisel hits, and it got to When the War Is Over, and and Mossy turned to me and said, oh, what album was that on? And he couldn't recall which chisel album featured When the War Is Over. And, And that's something really lovable about Mossy, but sometimes you do just want to shake him too and go man you are the incredible guitarist you are such a beautiful singer just do more stuff yeah yeah you know write more songs do more gigs do more albums but that's not in his nature and i think that explains something special about cold chisel those contrasting characters really made it work and in any other band, Ian Moss would have been the lead singer. He would have been. But for Cole Chisel, he was like the secondary singer. Mm. That's what a gift for a band to have, to go, so, oh, OK, Mossy, we'll get you to sing
1: this. A very soulful singer. For those of you in the States who um, may be listening to this or anywhere outside Australia maybe listening to this and you haven't heard Ian Moss, um, to give you an idea of uh, the sort of singer that he is, uh, Chisel had a number of covers that they would do. Uh, in concert and uh, Ian Moss's two big covers were uh, the old Julie London standard Crimea River and um, the old
2: uh, Ray Charles song uh, Georgia on my mind. Which funnily enough I think was on that we talked about the demos that Cold Chisel did for EMI in 1977 with Mark Opitz mm. recording them. I think Georgia was on those demos that EMI ended up passing on and everyone else kind of passed on as well. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, beautiful singer.
1: Um, So as for Bow River itself, we had a long introduction to the song, but the the actual song itself, um, I think you and I, Jeff, have discussed that um, this is sort of like a good companion to uh, uh, Don Walker's um, uh, composition, One Long Day, from the first Chisel album, whereas One Long Day is uh, the story of a nine-to-fiver who uh, dreams about packing it all in and doing something else and all the wonderful places he could be but you know he won't whereas Bow River is you know what I've had enough I'm going through the door I'm going to tell the man stick this job and I'm just going to go out and really have a I'm going to go back to Bow River where you know uh, I, I can, I can, I've got four new tyres on my car I'm going to have a great time and I'm just going to pack it in and that's where I want to be
2: So, which again classic Mossy storylines you, you believe it because that's the sort of character that he is
1: and it, it, the lyrics are very evocative um, uh, you know, uh, listen now to the wind listen to the rain I feel that water licking at my feet again I mean it, it, it doesn't sound like it's you know necessarily uh, uh, great lyricism there but really when I the first time I listened to that um, I really could shut my eyes and think you know he really did evoke another place you know something that was different from his nine nine to five suit wearing job and and uh, doing something that uh, the other thing I think that's interesting though about this song uh, we, we discuss a lot about the lyrics but musically whereas one long day it has that dreamy feel, as well as the dreamy lyric. Um, Bow River. The, the music is almost aggressive, wouldn't you say?
2: Yeah, well, it's got that edge to it, which which is interesting. And the other thing you just reminded me. This is a bizarre description in many ways, but Mark Opitz's take on Ian Moss. He says that Ian Moss is the only white Aboriginal that I know, <laughs> and I think by that he means just how laid back Mossy is, but how he has a real connection with the land mm. as well, particularly the Northern Territory where he comes from. Mm. And so even though Chisel, based in Sydney, biggest band in the country, I think Mossy was, you know, happiest when he got back to see his mates in Alice Springs yes. and mm. just to hang out with them and just be a normal guy. Now,
1: he wrote about that, that sort of state of mind on uh, his first album, Matchbook. I think it was a, such a beautiful thing. That was about his time in the Alice Yes, Yes. Yeah. was going up there so. Well. Oh, well, so there are eight other songs on this album. Maybe uh, let's talk about something else. So The next one, uh, after the uh, river, the band, after two oral assaults, really take a bit of a gentle, uh, more, um, a, a, a far more laid back uh, setting on the next song with it. it's a little bit of a reggae well, Um I like that word "lilt." I tend to use it in conversation. It's just a word you read. I'm using it. Verbally, uh, with um, uh, the first of two great Stephen Presswich songs on the album, uh, "Forever Now." Your thoughts on uh, "Forever Now"?
2: Well, it's a third classic on the album, isn't it? The Barnsey classic, "You Got Nothing," I want the Mossy classic, "Bow River," the Steve Presswich classic, "Forever Now." For many Cold Chisel fans, and we we both went to school with uh, Chisel fans, they were just everywhere. Mm. For many of them, this is their favorite Chisel song, "Forever Now." And for Mark Opitz, uh, in talking to him, this was a song that he felt, because he was worried sort of to a point going into this Circus Animals album, because he was like aware that the band didn't want to make a pop record. But his thing was like, well, we still want something that radio's going to play. Mm. As a producer, I've got to help deliver that. So it's great that you want to make this out there rock record, but I still want to hit. He, he says he was so relieved when we walked into a Chisel gig and he heard this song. And I think back then it was called Acapulco Piranha or something. <laughs> I don't think Steve had come up with the title for the record. Um, but once he heard this song, he was like, great, we've got the radio song for this record. Everything's going to be OK. And the thing I want to really highlight with this, a lot of people uh, you know, joke about Jimmy Barnes and all the screaming and all that sort of stuff. And he is an incredible screamer at, at times. But if you want to hear Jimmy Barnes really singing... Check out forever now. He's a wonderful singer.
1: He, he does do a very good job on that. So, I mean, look. To be absolutely honest with you, I think during the Chisel career, I i don't think that there's any Chisel album where his singing is anything less than great. I think it's just once he sort of you know went into solo mode, that was when right the focus was off him. As, oh, sorry, the, the, the focus wasn't on a band. The focus was on jimmy barnes the singer jimmy barnes the performer not cole chisel the band or the jimmy barnes band it was right you're all the focus what are you going to do oh well shit i better take what i do and i better crank it up about ten thousand. not just saying so chisel he could afford to sing um but as a solo performer well he just
2: thought he had to do something else well or i think or it crank it up it becomes kind of like a cliche too so when you know jimmy barnes people go oh screamer uh, another contemporary james rain people go unintelligible lyrics mm. but they're both just great singers and i think those cliches are incorrect so um as for uh, the the song itself i it, it's um it
1: it really it, it's a very clever structure i mean often I, okay anyone listening to this in australia will have heard forever now thousands of times on on the uh, you know, Top 40 radio back in the day, and maybe Golden Oldies radio now, not to mention in our own record collections. But when you stop and sort of actually read the lyrics, you think about it, it's it's a breakup song. Actually, both of Stephen Pressridge's songs on this album, to me, are breakup songs, but it's told both from his side and from her side. And it's not a breakup song as in, like, you're a bitch, you're a bastard. This is a breakup between two people who... You sense they really regret what they've done here, and it's almost like a Casablanca. Well, we'll always have Paris, uh, sort of. They want to remember. Well, this is the way we'll always be forever. Now they recall the good times that they had, but now, for whatever reason, they have to separate. And it's told from both perspectives. And I think Press, which was, it was very clever. It wasn't, you know, like a first person. I used to love you, but. Now I'm done with your type of song. It was a it was a third person narrative, and but looking at each side of the affair as as it's breaking up, and it, it's it's a beautiful, uh, as you say, gentle gentle tune.
2: I'm yet to see uh, Chisel on this uh, reunion tour that they're on now, but it's going to have extra poignancy that storyline. It's mm. going to take on a new meaning this song because, of course, sadly, Steve Presswich died at the start of uh, 2011. Mm. So now. Chisel on the road with a with a new drummer for this tour.
1: I was just going to say one one more thing. Um, I remember when the album came out at the time. Uh, one of the local uh, music critics in Melbourne, I think it might have been Mike Daly, had gone and said that he thought that this song could have easily come out of the pen of uh, Ross Wilson. What do you reckon? Do you think as a uh, Ross Wilson feel?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm a huge Ross Wilson fan, and he ended up in doing some writing with Jimmy Barnes, mm-hmm. and I think yeah. Yeah, I could hear, and I could hear Ross Wilson singing this Mm. as well, another incredible, soulful voice. Mm. Um, Yeah, that's a a really good point. Mm. Yeah, I'd buy that. I I don't think it's an obvious call, but yeah, I could certainly agree with that. Mm.
1: So, um, okay, so track number four on the album, uh, Taipan. Now, this this is an interesting thing because this is the first Don Walker song on the album, and as Jeff and I have been saying you know, Don Walker was the principal songwriter for uh, the band. Uh, I mean, on this album, uh, he only has, only has half the songs on the album, but um, not only he was the principal songwriter to that point, and, and um, to this day he's cited by a lot of people, and I'll put myself in that bracket, as probably Australia's greatest rock songwriter, and certainly uh, a, a fantastic observer of people. Um, and yet, for all of that, his first song on the album, "Taipan," to me, at least musically, maybe not lyrically so much, but musically, it was a big disappointment. Where do you sit on this?
2: Yeah, I agree. I reckon this is the only Chisel album where Don Walker is really overshadowed. Mm. And I think if you were giving the votes, you'd give Steve Presswich the votes for this record. It's mm. only two songs, but boy, those two songs are remarkable. And I think this, these sort of brace of songs, I guess. are four five and six on the album taipan hound dog wild colonial boy all don walker songs and i think they they're good rock songs but I, I feel the album kind of meanders a bit here and they're all all very long five minute songs and i guess this is sort of don walker making that statement i'm not making a pop record <laughs> this is a rock record i'm reacting to east and that really comes across here I don't think uh, any of the songs are classics, oh, apart I, I, from I, the final song on the album, which we'll get to, which is a Don Walker you classic. Know, well, we'll skip Taipan for a moment then, uh, maybe because I don't
1: think either of us have that much to say about it, but, but Hound Dog, I'll, I'll have to disagree with you. I'd say Hound Dog, certainly for me, as is Letter to Alan, which we'll get to, is an album highlight... Um, in in a way, I mean, it's not explicitly stated that it's about a band, but I certainly see it, it's it's certainly about someone who's having a hard time out being on the road. And I sort of see this as maybe a companion piece to maybe ACDC's "It's a Long Way to the Top," um, hardship on the road. Whereas you know, "It's a Long Way to the Top," it's explicitly, "Hey, we're a band. We're getting ripped off. We're getting underpaid, and life can really suck when you're in a band." And in "Hound Dog." Um, don walker he doesn't go the i'm gonna spoon feed it to you sort of thing it's more about images uh, in an abstract fashion that he that he'll uh, quote but it certainly does speak to me about time out on the road and it's um you can just sort of imagine he's he's, i've got asphalt uh i've got dog's disease and asphalt on my shoes and it's it's he's He's not in love with the whole circus as it was of being on on the road and you know the whole circus and they they did a circus animals show. They they, the band they, um, whilst it was an act of love that they gave for their fans to actually do circus animals live in the midst of a circus big top with circus acts playing, which I don't think ever hit Melbourne, did it? Um, But I I, I gather that this whole sort of continual touring. Of Australia under these harsh conditions and probably in a in a bus um probably plagued him a lot. And this is an angry song, at least musically it's a very angry song. Uh, and, and I remember the first time I heard it, I thought, i got to play this again and again. It was um uh, it's not it's not melodic like a Prestwitch song, but it's but it is a great Australian rock song, a great lyric and a great Australian rock song. So I don't
2: know. And and then leading into Wild Colonial Boy, which again is a, a that real, does seem like a bit of a film, Yeah, maybe. but a real Australian statement yep. in lots of ways to it. So again, this maybe is Dom Walker's sort of take on that American experience, which mm. wasn't fulfilling for the yeah. band. Yep, yeah. And they were you know reasserting their Australianness. Yes, Australianity.
1: Yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> Whatever it may be. Um. So uh, yeah, so side two of the album uh, opens up with the aforementioned "Wild Colonial Boy" and then leads into uh, Ian Moss's second song on the album. It doesn't quite make the same impression as uh, Bo River" and people don't go screaming out for this song. No good for you, and yet I reckon underrated pop moment. It on is this a, record. It is a good. It's a great pop moment, and the lyric. When I recently, like, I was I was going back and listening to the album a few times before we were doing this podcast, and I went back to the lyric. I mean, as a how old I was, you know, 15, 16 years old when this album came out, and it was just another, oh yeah, it's a pop song, yeah, okay, but now, sort of as a grown-up adult, it, it's it's really, it's an adult song, um, and it, it's a funny lyric, it's a real funny lyric, you know, this guy, he um, he's being hit on by a woman in a bar, and he's probably thinking, oh, okay, right, yeah, yeah, I'd like to be able to yeah, take her home, but really, she's she's a married woman, cheating on her husband, and all she can do is talk about her husband and how he's making money and how she's doing this and, and he he's just drinking himself blind and it's the end of the night and he just wants to go home and and she just she's going on and on and on and on and it's a it's 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 a grown-up song I guess in that way but it's a, it's his, his turn of phrase she won't shut up she goes on and on and on and on
2: and it's a funny song
1: I, I don't know I think I find it a funny one
2: yeah I, I think it's been unfairly overlooked. That song, mm. so, um, yeah. I, that I, wonder where, I
1: wonder where um, Ian himself would put uh, it because i seen—it's been a long time since I've seen him live, and I can't recall whether he ever included it in a, in a solo set.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think he has. I, I might be wrong on that, but it's something which—it's yeah, a song I'd love to see reappear mm. in his solo work or even on this Chisel tour. Mm. Uh,
1: so then we go next to um, uh, another Don Walker tune. Uh, Numbers 4, which I think might have been a B-side. Now this is getting really (laughs) music nerdish, but this was, I think, the B-side for you Got Nothing I Want. Uh, Lyrically. um, Yeah, lyrically I'm not not sure it's something I identify with terribly much, but musically it's a really strong, down and dirty blues song and possibly influenced by uh, uh, his time in the cross. uh, Don Walker's time in uh, King's Cross in Sydney, I don't know, whether you see this one?
2: Yeah, I'd probably agree, and again, I don't think it's super strong as a song, it doesn't, it it never really leaps out at me, this song.
1: It's a really slow, sort of uh, dirty, uh, very bluesy, not a 12-bar blues sort of tune, but uh, very, um, I mean, musically, take away the lyrics, it's the sort of thing you might expect to hear in a strip drum. Yeah. Not that I'd know first hand, but...
2: Which, for people listening overseas, the King's Cross, that, you know, the sleazy kind of area mm. in Sydney, a lot of strip joints, yeah. that sort of vibe, which um, is where Don Walker spent a lot of his time mm. and a lot of songs, cultures or songs, have come from there. In strip joints. Uh, well, it, <laughs> Sweethearts was a cafe mm. and in the cross, and which is now a McDonald's, that was the title track, Breakfast at Sweethearts. Mm of their second album. So that sort of area had fueled so many Cold Chisel songs. Mm.
1: Uh, so following numbers four, we're in the home stretch last two songs on the album and uh, the one we're both going to talk about, When the War Is Over.
2: Incredible ballad. Mm. Uh, it's probably, you could argue, this is the greatest uh, Chisel ballad. You hear it now, it still sounds like a hit song. It's been covered a couple of times. Even by an Australian Idol contestant, that became a number one hit. I think I could probably cover it, but you know, it is just a great money to hear. It it is a great song, and uh, this incredible vocal as well. It just works as a song, Uh, and just obviously having war in the title too. It just added something to the song too. So you, you know, it, it. People can have different meanings uh, for this song as well. Well, as I,
1: I think, you know, we've previously discussed. I mean, my take on it um, was that this song, uh, like "Forever Now," is also about a breakup. But in, in this case, it, it sounds like it's um, a not so amicable breakup. Uh, when the war is over, I've got to start again. Um, uh, and. hang on where's the the lyrics hang on here we go I'll have to I'll have to read a couple of lyrics to prove my point uh you and I had our sights set on something I hope this doesn't mean our days are numbered I got plans for more than a wanted man all around this chaos and madness can't help feeling nothing more than sadness only choice is to face it the best I can um yeah this is this is you know two people in the midst of a not so not so happy breakup not that every not that any breakup I guess is ever happy but um it sounds like this is uh, tinged with much uh, sadness and, uh, and regret, but a different type of regret to the Forever Now. I think the couple splitting up in Forever Now thinks that they may have been able to make it work out, but they chose not to go down that path, and I think there's no such path for redemption uh, in this song. Um, uh, as you've already mentioned, there's been a couple of covers. Because, of course, turned it turned
2: up after leaving uh, Cold Chisel, Stephen which popped up in The Little River Band. And not probably the version, the big version that most of the Americans knew with Glenn Sharrick, but the version with John Farnham. Mm. And, of course, it was interesting. And Farnham's an incredible singer. So he obviously was very keen to tackle when the war is over. So Mm. LRB did the song and still sounds like a great song. It's it's just whoever, if you're a good singer and you cover this song, it's going to be a hit. See, well, that's, I had a problem with the LRB. I mean, it
1: was never really like a, a great Farnham era LRB Fan, but uh, it, it it sounded I guess for uh, before Australian Idol. This was Australian Idol. It sounded like I'm gonna make this big. This is gonna be. This is that big production that was everything that Cole Chisel wasn't. Um, in Ian Moss's oh, sorry, uh, when the war is over, the too Chiselle, far over I, I, the top. Ian Moss and Jimmy Barnes sing this together, and and yeah, th- their voices shine. But it's never. Show it's never it's singing at the top much. of their voices for showing off's sake. Whereas John Farnham, you know, was of the opinion the louder I sing, the more I put this out there, um, the better it's gonna sound. And it wasn't, it really wasn't, it was overproduced, uh, overly slick and. I get the feeling that uh, you know maybe that's why Stephen which only lasted what one album with LRB, probably yes probably
2: thought nah sorry <laughs> you, you fucked up my song <laughs> no <laughs> I'm not going to won't allow that but that's again. a really good point because this song could be the big idol moment mm. but it doesn't necessarily have to be that mm. and as you said it probably suffers if you do take it over the top mm. and the version the chisel version yeah you can never top that no. Uh, And then the final song on the album, uh, Don Walker
1: composition, Letter to Alan. Now, this
2: was dedicated to uh, one of their roadies. Yes, Alan Dallow, who got very sadly killed in a a truck accident, which really devastated the band, because not only was he a roadie, but I think, you know, he's pretty much, he and Barnsey were best mates, I think. So it was incredibly devastating for Cole Chisel. Uh, And they paid tribute to him with an incredible song, and my uh, best mate corey i think his all-time favorite band is cold chisel like Mm. many australians and this is his all-time favorite song Mm. he Mm. thinks this is the absolute chisel classic Mm. and and i think a lot of people would agree with that and um yeah you can feel just genuine passion and emotion in this song so paying tribute to a mate they could do it in no better way than this an incredible don walker song And this is the way it concludes, the lyric. And if I don't hang around our old gambling grounds, it does not mean that I've forgotten. We believed, and I still do. Mm. They're incredibly poignant and powerful lines. Mm.
1: Mm. That's that's the thing about this. This song is not so much about Alan. And Don Walker really knew how to craft a lyric. And here, this is uh, more about his memories and the band's memories of hanging out with him not so much I remember you used to you know, load the truck and you used to be the first one at the bar after the gig or anything like that it was a lot more personal than that and damn it you beat me to the punch I was going to quote that lyric that's, but that that really is a beautiful poignant moment in in uh, the song and interestingly enough I mean it's for, for something that's so personal apart from the last verse that last lyric and the opening the rest of the song really rocks very very hard it's not a it's not one of the more gentle moments but that's possibly how alan Dello would have liked i imagine
2: yeah it is a real chisel epic mm. this song and it means so much more because it is so personal mm.
1: okay well gosh so 33 minutes later and we've uh, i think we've concluded there our discussion about
2: uh, circus animals and pretty much uh, ready to wrap uh the show up in general um, well it's a great debate morris and the listeners will have their own opinion. What is the best Chisel album? Is it East or is it Circus Animals? I don't know what your opinion is. I think you've been a little bit tarnished by an experience you had at school.
1: (laughs) Oh, you had to bring this one in, didn't you? Um, Look, this wasn't so much... No, this didn't happen at school, but years ago I was in a a, uh, youth group that just happened to be attended by uh, my arch nemesis from school. Uh, but I wasn't going to let that wreck my time there. We went off away to a, uh, a weekend camp. I think this might have been the end of year 11 or something like that. And uh, up until that point, East had been like a pretty strong album in my life and one that I'd played a lot on, um, on uh, my turntable. Remember those kids? And uh, uh, yeah, so we went away. It was like, yeah, I think a two or three day camp. And this guy, he ha- he was also a big fan of East. Maybe the one thing that we had in common was our love of East, but not after that weekend. like We were in the same bunk room with about you know six other six other people, and he had a tape player, and he must have played East at least eight or nine times over the course of two days. And really, I can love an album, but eight or nine times over that period. I don't know about you folks out there, but I thought that was just a little bit too much and since 1981 or was it 1982 i don't recall i've probably played east maybe about three or four times in the last do the arithmetic you know 28 years or something like that which um is a bit of a shame i mean here we are doing a podcast espousing the virtues of uh these two great albums um and i still have every song you know carved into my mind but it's a hard thing hard thing to listen to because i just I just have this guy's face (laughs) in my head when I hear this song and ah you know so but look if we're going to go for the greatest chisel album and it's not going to be between those two for me it's still uh, the first album really Um, one long day if it had no other great song on it it would still be the greatest chisel album because of one long day Uh, fortunately has a horde of other great songs and no it's not because of k which if I never hear again I won't regret uh, but um, uh, yeah, no one long day, uh, and just how many times? The last song on side one, and the long last song on side two. Uh, we've already spoken about how Circus Animals was their rock moment. Those two songs are their greatest soul moments. Um, one long day, predominantly done by Ian Moss, although Jim Barnes finishes it off. Uh, and just how many times? All Jim Barnes, but it really sounds like. Don Walker wanted to write a song for Ray Charles to sing like at one o'clock in the morning in some piano bar somewhere and it's absolutely just hair stands up on the back of the arms moment. I certainly I don't think they made another I oh know, actually it wouldn't be fair to say that they never made another song like that. No, that's not true because they sing to me on the 20th Century which I think is not quite as good but nearly as good uh, and um uh, Plaza Hotel on Breakfast at Sweetheart's, another great sort of piano, soulful moment. Um, uh, oh, another great song, the first album, um, Rosaline. Another great soulful piano, Ian Moss moment. So, um, yeah, the whole album's great, but that, that's that's the holy trinity from okay. there on, on, on so that I'm album. So you're voting first album? I'm voting first album, but Circus Animals comes in a very close second
2: well my vote goes to east mm. i think it's a five-star album circus animals not far behind then followed by the first album mm. and then the second album and then 20th century is a bit all over the shop the band was obviously falling apart at that point but you know well, the high moments are very high absolutely i mean look I, I i went back and listened
1: to um uh to 20th century quite recently and i th- probably the weakest songs. Uh, the jim barnes compositions uh, although uh, I, I think build this love which might have been a don walker song opens it, up is a bit a that bit
2: is wonderful. the worst opening song on a cold chisel album <laughs> uh, yeah and it, and it and it's dated badly it, too. It, it has it has
1: and yet you can forgive those crappy moments for songs like sing to me which i think renee Geyer has covered um it's uh, janelle janelle yeah. which beautiful don song. walker turned into danielle for text on and charlie Of course, the Stephen Prestwich pop moment of the album Flame Trees. Um, Hold me tight. Hold me. I was going to come to that. uh, uh, Don Walker's tribute to bondage, and every band should have a tribute to bondage. Certainly, a song as as good as this. Tie these arms and legs together. Let's all break this hell for leather. One big happy heart attack. Let's all the world's insomniacs unite. I don't think there's ever been a top 40 song that's mentioned bondage and leather and the Marquis de Sade it it took Don Walker to do it good on you Don Um, so so there are some great and and Saturday Night which maybe doesn't hold up as well as it did but at the time I think that um, that was certainly a, a well a well enjoyed song so there are some great moments on 20th century which goes to show that you know a great band even if it has weak moments is still a great band
2: And I thought the Reunion album in 98 to The Last Wave of Summer, incredibly underrated. It's as good as any comeback for a band that's been away for, you know, 15 years could be. Do you think it would have held its
1: own, though, if it had just come out like a year after 20th century,
2: though? I think so. Mm. I I think so. So I I, I urge people to... uh, you know re-examine the last wave of summer but i will leave the final verdict to the fans because i think they agree with me mo Mm. (laughs) chisel just released a new best of album all for you which is 18 classic songs plus two new songs with this album is a little bit different because they've had a number of best ofs over the years but this one was fan voted you could go to the website Mm. vote for your favorite songs and they would end up on the album the ones with the most votes east seven songs ended up on this album including the opening song, Standing on the Outside, "Cheap Wine, Rising Sun, Choir Girl, Four Walls, My Baby, and Ita. So seven songs from East, four from Circus Animals, When the War is Over, Bow River, Forever Now, and You Got Nothing I Want. The people have spoken. I agree with them. Uh, all, the, all the people who bought 45
1: singles or who listened to Gold FM. <laughs> they're uh, both remarkable records. Mm. Um, Actually, probably uh, before we go there, I should also make mention that that you did make mention of Swing Shift. Uh, Chisel have had, uh, both during their lifetime and post-initial breakup, a number of live albums. Uh, Swing Shift was not an album I particularly cared for, but The Barking Spiders, on the other hand, which was made to look like a bootleg, um, I thought a fantastic album. Barking Spiders was um, uh, the name that the band would go under if they wanted to do... Uh, secret gig, a secret gig, go into a pub and uh, and not be overrun by thousands of people. So, uh, so yeah, they decided to pay tribute to that by calling their their um, farewell live album, "The Barking Spiders Live," and the cover looked like a typical bootleg vinyl of the day—very plain on the front and a crappy sepia-toned picture on the back. Um, but uh, that belied the, uh, the the contents there in the album sounded and from a recording perspective and the content itself was uh, fantastic
2: yeah so there is so much to explore if you're just getting into cold chisel if you're an australian listening to this though you'll already know the story you will you couldn't be untouched by cold chisel you couldn't go through high school at our time and not know of cold chisel you couldn't avoid them it was bizarre in that uh my final years at high school chisel had already broken up but if you asked everyone who's your favorite band 95 percent of them would say cold chisel you know i remember it's it's a funny thing
1: back when east was making it big and i think the year of the countdown awards the two big albums of the time were east and split ends as true colors and as a chisel fan at the time and i didn't like split ends back in the day you know i was hoping like everyone else East, east east and that won just about all of the awards I'm ashamed to say I wasn't a fan of True Colours back in the day because like now I've become a huge fan of, of their back, uh, the Split End's back catalogue and True
2: Colours is definitely a highlight. Maybe have to be a topic for a uh, future discussion. Yeah, let's do it. It was a golden era for mm. Australian music because mm. there were so many great bands starting out and really emerging. Midnight Oil, The Angels, uh, Cold Chisel, Australian Crawl, Divine Ols, split ends you mentioned there's so much going on so yeah let's tackle it another day mo all right thanks very much uh all of you out there for listening or both of you
1: out there for listening um i hope you've uh, enjoyed uh jeff and my uh rant and rave about uh chisel this time around uh jeff's going to be back in a few weeks with uh another album i'm in a couple of weeks i got uh, uh, another jeff uh, my good friend jeff smith hopefully we'll get a whole show recorded this time and we'll be talking about steve earl's great album el corazon um and if you want to get in contact with me please i appreciate any feedback uh you can send an email to R kitchen that's all one word R kitchen at yahoo.com.au uh you can go get this uh podcast off my website that's love that album all one word love that album dot blogspot dot com or you can uh, type in all one word love that album into uh itunes and uh download it from there as i, oh, I forgot to mention at the uh, blogspot site you can either download it for listening to on your computer or your ipod or other mp3 player or you can stream it from the site either way i'm happy to uh cater to whatever listening needs you want just as long as you listen um So, uh, yep, please uh, get out there, listen to more music, go see some live bands, uh, watch movies. Jeff, thanks very much for being (laughs) a part of this once again. Cheers.
0: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.